You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, we remember, of course, that in the Proverbs, we are studying how to live a life of skill before God. And one of the ingredients that will become more and more obvious as we move through the book of Proverbs together that is necessary for living this life of skill is the ingredient of humility. A person must lower themselves before the Lord in in order to be able to receive the wisdom of the Lord. Now, in chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, we begin with Solomon imploring his son. Now, this is going to be a common refrain that we will see throughout the book of Proverbs, and he begins this way, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the eyes, uh, in the sight of God and man. And so in the passages that will follow, the father teacher is going to instruct his son in a few different areas. He's going to teach his son to trust God more than himself, to fear God by avoiding evil, to honor God with his money, and to appreciate God's discipline upon his life. It is, of course, interesting that the word for teaching that Solomon uses here when he tells his son to adhere to or to listen to his teaching is actually the word Torah or law. And that, of course, reminds us of the uh, what we would call the Torah, uh, the law, the word of God. And this is the best kind of parental instruction there can be, instruction in uh, the word of God. Now, the interesting thing to me in those opening verses of our passage today is that Solomon tells his son, to take these words and these truths, which will bring long life and prosperity and peace and blessing. In other words, in general, this wise kind of life is the best kind of life, is a life that is filled with peace and joy, and uh, life is just easier lived in general by the wisdom and instruction of God. Obviously, there is room for the persecuted life and the difficulties that come by living a life of righteousness, but in general, especially in ancient Israel, when a person built their lives upon the wisdom of God, that life was an easier kind of life than a life that is filled with sin. But Solomon here tells his son, interestingly enough, to take these words and to bind them around his neck and to write them on the tablet of his heart. Now, this, of course, reminds us of the glorious new covenant promise given to us in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, but spoken to us most clearly in the New Testament and alluded to in Hebrews chapter 8. Quoting from Jeremiah, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their their God and they shall be my 
people. In other words, it is really ultimately by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that these truths can actually be written upon a person's heart and that transformation can occur from the inside out. So as believers, with this possibility, it motivates us all the more to run to God in his word, to apply his truth in our lives, because we know as we do, it will actually happen that these truths will be written by the spirit of God onto the hearts of the people of God, including our hearts as well. So we have great benefit of getting into the word because we know that it will get into us. Now he says to his son in verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, this, of course, is one of the most famous verses in Proverbs, if not all of uh, Scripture. And he says some very instructing things uh, to his son about a simple walk in relationship with God. What he's announcing to his son is that one of the paths to great blessing is to trust the Lord, even when in conflict with our own insights. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. That word trust means to lie helpless, face down. It pictures a servant waiting for the master's command in readiness to obey or a defeated soldier yielding himself to a conquering general, to trust God to that degree and level. Lord, what you say, what you desire, Lord, I will do. And we might have understanding. And of course, that's what Solomon is recognizing about his son. You do have your own understanding, but do not lean upon it. The danger, of course, is that we will lean on our own understanding and thereby miss the desire and the heart and the plan of God. Now, this doesn't suggest that we turn off our brains and ignore intelligence and common sense. It simply means that we place God in that primary position. And we say, Lord, your word, your truth, what you speak into my life, I'm going to lean absolutely and abundantly and primarily upon that, even when my own understanding gets in the way. You know, the reality is that if God is God, then there will be plenty of moments where in our natural man, we disagree. In our natural man, we don't understand. I am not serving a God that I understand at all times. He is higher than me. His wisdom and insights go so far beyond me. But because he is God, he has permission to shake my sensibilities and take me out of my comfort zone. Solomon says to his son, in all your ways, acknowledge God and he will make straight your paths. In other words, be all in with the Lord in everything that you do and live a life before him. Acknowledge the Lord in everything that you do. Spend time with him. Be present with him. Oh, that God's people would more and more be people of prayer. I think this is something that we have Uh, greatly neglected in our modern era, that God is calling for us. He is desiring us. He wants us with all of our hearts and all of our ways to acknowledge him, to submit to him, to seek his will, to think about him in all of our ways, to listen for his voice in everything that we do. 
And when this is the attitude of a believer, Solomon tells his son, God will make straight your paths. This is more than just guidance. It is that, but it is also the removing of obstacles. The Lord goes before us. It is obvious where he is taking us. He is leading the way and not only leading the way, but preparing the way for us. Now in verse seven, Solomon gives his son one of the massive secrets to success. He says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You know, there's no need for us to pretend. We don't have to act as if we know more than we really do. We get wisdom from God when we begin to understand uh, that we are in need of his wisdom. Sometimes someone will get wisdom from God and they'll begin to build their lives upon God and his word. And then as things are working out as a result, they begin to think that they are the originators of the wisdom that they have built their lives upon. It's good for us to understand that that wisdom is on loan from God. There needs to be a reverence for the for the Lord, a fear of the Lord within us. And if we do, he says, it will be healing and refreshment to our bones. It will be therapeutic in our lives, in other words, when we humble ourselves about our own perspectives, when we fear the Lord, and when we avoid sin, this is a refreshing kind of life to live before God. Honor the Lord, verse 9, with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. Now here Solomon begins to speak to his son about the financial realm. And of course, the Bible has much to say about the way that we handle and treat our finances. And here he tells his son to honor God with his wealth and with the first fruits of his produce. Now, in Israel, the first fruits were given to God in sacrifice. But here he's saying the first part of what you take in, in your wealth, uh, give it to the Lord, honor the Lord with it. And if you do, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, there is going to be a, a connection between your generosity, your giving, your placing God first financially and your own financial health and success. And of course, part of this does come from just the sovereign hand of God looking upon a person's life and saying, I see the open hand that they have. I see their generosity. They have let their bread go out on many waters and it will now return to them. I am going to involve myself in the process of their lives and there will be countless moments that they will say, God hath provided. But on the other hand, there is also just the, when a person is saying the first portion is going to go to God, what they are beginning to do is have a process in their lives of telling the money where to go. And when they live that kind of way or that kind of life, uh, uh, that is a life that actually leads to long-term financial success because rather than being enslaved to uh, money, you are actually using money as your slave or as your servant. 
And so when you honor the Lord in this way, there's so much good that comes. Idolatry is crushed uh, because money is something we so often worship. Our trust in God increases. We gain victory over the power of money and over the power of possessions and over the power of comfort. We gain victory over the false security that money often provides. And we gain a deeper compassion for people with that generous heart and life. My son, verse 11, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. One of the things that is to be embraced by God's children is the discipline of the Lord, the correcting hand of God. Jesus, when his disciples uh, were looking to him to teach them to pray, said, pray like this, our father in heaven. And when Jesus began introducing God as our father, he was, of course was introducing a concept that is only possible by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And God is a father who does not neglect his fathering role and responsibility. No, he brings discipline upon our lives. And that discipline is so good and so healthy for us. And in one sense, like it is for our children here on earth, it is a sign that God actually loves us because he does not leave us to our own devices. Blessed, verse 13, is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are at peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast call her blessed. Now here we see uh, one of the passages in Proverbs where wisdom is personified, and here she's personified as a, wo- uh, as a woman, a woman who needs to be treated well, pursued, loved, uh, cherished. And Solomon tells his son, if you uh, develop this kind of uh, intimate relationship with wisdom, there is deep blessing that follows. The Lord, verse 19, by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. What Solomon seems to be saying to his son here is, I want you to pursue wisdom like this woman and understand the reason why. God founded the earth with and by wisdom. By understanding, he established the heavens. In other words, it seems to be that what Solomon is saying is, if God needed wisdom, we need wisdom. If God used wisdom to found the earth, if that was his operational position, then we, of, of all people, must need wisdom as well. And so when we live in wisdom, in one sense, we're able to live more effectively in harmony with all that God created because by wisdom, he created it. My son, he says in verse 21, and, and here Solomon is now going to talk to his son about the value of wisdom in building relationships with others. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely. 
and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the, of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. And so here again, Solomon is uh, imploring his son, seek wisdom. Uh, they're going to help you in your relationships with others, which is where he's going to go in the next few verses. But he lists some benefits, life, safety, peaceful sleep, the avoidance of trouble, troubles, confidence in the future. Uh, there are so many benefits that come for the life of wisdom. And here Solomon is describing the concept of a soul at rest. Uh, your sleep will be sweet. You don't have to worry about the sudden terror that comes upon the wicked. Now, this both has a gospel application and a clean conscience application, doesn't it? You know, when a person's life is dictated by the uh, word of God, they're able to live life with a much cleaner conscience than many others. There's no worry about what is going to be discovered about their lives. But as well, the clean conscience positionally and initially comes through the message of the gospel and receiving the message of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that message, the gospel message, is indeed a message that makes us and gives us great and sweet and deep sleep. Do not withhold, verse 27, from those to whom, uh, good, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Now here Solomon lists a few different ways that his son should treat other people. And this is actually very instructive to us. Verse 27 to verse 30. First of all, we learn that we should not withhold good from those to whom it is due. In other words, uh, it is not just sin is not just abstaining from doing the evil thing. No, sin is also abstaining from doing the right thing or the good thing. And he includes paying your neighbor today. If, if you're able to pay them now, then pay them now. Do good today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Uh, and then he says, don't plan evil against your neighbor. And so for us, one thing we want to do for others is we want to give them love, the gospel. Uh, rather than planning evil, we want to give them love. And then he says, do not contend with a man for no reason. And this is very constant in our culture, the idea of bickering and quarreling and uh, with others. But instead, we want to be peacemakers here in this world. Do not envy, verse 31, a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. Uh, there are various reasons that we might envy a man of violence. One might be the prosperity of the wicked. For the devious person, verse 32, is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. So there are various reasons not to be envy, uh, uh, envious of men of violence. 
and uh, he lists them here. And for us, we want to be a people who are different before the Lord. Now, in chapter 4, Solomon begins again with another exhortation to his son to uh, acquire uh, wisdom. And he recalls a time in his life when he was the only child uh, in his family between uh, David and Bathsheba, of course. And for a time, he was the only child. He says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So Solomon begins to reminisce over the words of David that were spoken to him. David was, of course, his father. And David's encouragement to Solomon to get wisdom helped influence Solomon to ask God for for wisdom. You might remember in 1 Kings chapter 3, on the uh, great day and night that he sacrificed to God, God gave him a vision and said, what is it that you want from me? And Solomon's response in general was, give me understanding, give me discernment, give me wisdom. And the seed of that request, we assume here, came from David, who taught his son Solomon and said, whatever you get, get wisdom. Pay for her, buy her, do not forsake her. And if you do, at the end of your life, which she'll bestow upon you, and really in, in, in all of life, is a beautiful crown upon your life. And of course, the opposite is implied. A foolish, unwise life is dishonorable and unattractive and shameful, and the exact opposite of a beautiful crown is placed upon the foolish uh, kind of life. And so Solomon, of course, as you look back upon his life, experienced both wisdom and folly and the results that are embedded in both. So we want to run the race to receive the crown, and the race must be run with wisdom, a beautiful crown placed upon our heads. And so hear the words of David to Solomon, uh, to his son, and now to us. That's four different groups, David, Solomon, his literal sons, and us as the sons of God, four different categories, passing on the wisdom uh, through the generations. Now, in verse 10, he goes on and he describes the value of wisdom in preserving someone from trouble. He says, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. So here Solomon begins with a repeated admonition to listen carefully to the instruction so that life might be extended. He, and the words that he uses to say carefully listen is accept, keep hold, do not let go, 
guard the wisdom of God uh, in your life. And he says of this wisdom and of these words, she is your life. This instruction, this wisdom, she is your life. So not only is wisdom the means of making progress in life, it is life itself. And so he's announcing that something that is that essential to life, it must be enthusiastically maintained. You think about the way that we so often might approach nutrition or education. There's lots of interest, lots of cataloging, lots of research, lots of tracking and, you know, just checking off the boxes of our education or nutritional or or exercise or relational goals. And I think he's saying a similar thing ought to be there as far as our discipleship goes and our understanding of God's word. Let yourself grow in it. She is your life. So pursue it in that systematic, devoted kind of way. Do not, verse 14, enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they those who are wicked and those who are evil, cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Now, Solomon here tells his son, you do not want to repetitively repetitively, or even initially enter into the path or the way of the wicked and the evil. And what he announces about them is actually very telling. He says they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. In other words, there is an addictive nature, an enslaving nature to the wicked that and the evil that they are engaging in. There is an absolute addiction that they are given over to. Psalm 36 verse 4 describes this person as one who plots trouble while on his bed. It's just continually within his heart, continually within his mind. He can't even get over it or past it. He has been now enslaved to it. And Solomon is announcing that horrible end of that path. They cannot sleep unless they've done wrong, he's saying. Uh, you don't want to enter into that kind of addictive relationship with sin. Therefore, don't even enter it in the first place. It speaks to us of living a life that is above reproach and is, is uh, disciplined and separated unto God. But the path, verse 18, of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. This little cluster of verses has so encouraged my heart over the years. To understand that in my life as I walk with the Lord, the new covenant reality is that positionally I am who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm loved, adopted, and I've been made righteous in the sight of God. He looks upon me and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But as I now walk with the Lord, I begin to experience that transformation more and more powerfully and beautifully as the time goes on, just like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And this has been such a comfort to me personally and devotionally in my own life, and also in ministry, just continuing on, and brighter and brighter things will become until the full day. My son, verse 27, or verse 20, 
Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Solomon speaks to his son about his ears, his sight, his heart, his flesh, his speech, and his feet even. In other words, the whole body is engaged in the reception of God's wisdom. And a real beautiful phrase, a key phrase, I think, there for life is found in verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That secret place of your heart, as you're walking with God, that devotional life, that prayer life, that daily experience with Christ, that confession, you keep and you guard your heart with vigilance. It's something that you are extremely invested in because from your heart flows the springs of life. When your heart is evil, when your heart is affected, uh, the, the stream that flows from it is polluted. But when God is able to influence your heart and, and, and develop your heart and uh, transform your heart, then what flows from that str- stream is, is pure and beautiful and life-giving to those around you. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.